You don't know where you are, do you? You're in a prison of your own sins. Hi, folks. This is Lewis Hertham, Peter Abernathy from Westworld, and I'd like to welcome you to the Coffee Clatch Crew. The Coffee Clatch Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld Interview. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we had the opportunity, the privilege, the joy of interviewing Lewis Hertham from, of course, Westworld, who played Dolores' father, Peter Abernathy. Just a little background. For those of you who don't know, Lewis Hertham became familiar to most of us as an actor playing Deputy Andy Brooke during his five years on Murder, She Wrote. He has guest starred in everything from CSI to Criminal Minds, The Mentalist, True Detective, and Breaking Bad. His reoccurring roles include Sheriff Frank Briggs on Home Before Dark, Omar on the Netflix series Longmire, and of course, Peter Abernathy on Westworld. He has also been involved in film production with his Baton Rouge-based company Ransack Films, which have produced five features, one documentary, and one short film. On Westworld, Peter Abernathy is a rancher and a father, a kind man who loves his daughter. In season one, he discovers a photograph on the ranch that he obsessively wonders about, causing him to question his reality. His breach brings him to the attention of Dr. Ford, during which time he starts accessing fragments of his prior builds. Until it is decided Peter must be lobotomized, decommissioned, and put into cold storage. However, Charlotte Hale uses Lee Sizemore to get Abernathy back up and running, with just enough personality to enable him to get on a train and leave Westworld, carrying out 35 years' worth of guest data that she uploads into his Pearl. But Dolores manages to get Peter back. She uploads this data into the forge and beams it out through the satellites to an unknown location. And that's where we leave Peter, at least for now. Something to note, we recorded this after episode 6 of season 3. So when we're talking about Westworld and we have some questions, you may be like, wait, we already know that answer. We do now, but we didn't then. When we talk about everything from the character of Abernathy to what it's like to film on a show like Westworld, to work with Anthony Hopkins, but also other things that Lewis Hertham is involved in, fine arts in general, the future of technology and the world, we have a lot of fun. In fact, we had so much fun. There's one point where we got a little bit off topic and we recorded some extra material that we are going to be putting into our Patreon bonus episode. So if you're looking for some extra content or extraterrestrial content, yeah, nice teaser, and you're not already a Patreon member, please head over to coffeeclatchcrew.com and check it out. So thank you again, Lewis, for coming on this podcast. And thank you to the Clatchers because of you, we were able to get him on. Enjoy the show. First of all, thank you so much for that video that you sent us. <laughs> yeah, we that was so... awesome. Well, I'm glad you liked it. You know, I, I've been doing this for so long, and I've been making a living as, as an actor for a long, long time. But it really wasn't until Westworld where my notoriety went up substantially. It's still kind of new to me, you know, even all these years later after it was, you know. Well, we shot the pilot in 2014, believe it or not. It's, oh, wow. and it, uh it didn't air till 2016. It aired exactly two years later. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's still kind of weird to me. It's just my job, you know, but I forget that my job is seen by millions of people. Just kind of forget that sometimes. I, literally right after Westworld aired, like that Sunday night, the pilot, it was just amazing, I, you know, going out to restaurants and just at, everywhere, the store, whatever, you know, it was, it was amazing how many people saw it and, you know, and 
recognize it. But anyway, it's cool. <laughs> Speaking along those lines, how is it or how has it been different working on Westworld? Is it very secretive? Do you get the full script normally ahead of time or just parts of it? No. In the first season, well, for the pilot, I did get the script, but I had to ask for it. And, you know, I had a pretty substantial part in the pilot. At first, it looked like I wasn't going to get the pilot. So I asked Jonah, Jonathan Nolan, call him Jonah, for the script, and he gave me one. But I don't think everybody got the script if they were guest stars, because I was just a guest star in the pilot. I, I was only hired to be in the pilot. After they put Peter in, in cold storage, I, that was, I think, supposed to be the end. You wow. know? I mean, it, that's all I knew. I, they, you know, they didn't say this is a recurring role. They, you know, it was a one-time guest star. But after we shot the scene with Anthony Hopkins, you know, the, the final scene, and I don't think that was the last scene of the pilot that I shot, but um, Lisa Joy, also, as you know, one of the creators, walked me out to my trailer and she said, Lewis, I don't know where this character is going, but you know, she thanked me for the performance. And, and so there clearly was no plan. And I think that they just found a way to keep me around, you know. And so the rest of those episodes that I did, just little small things, I would just get the pages. And then the second season, they brought me back as a series regular. And I would get the scripts of the shows I was in, but nothing else. And, of course, had no idea what was going on. <laughs> Just no idea whatsoever. I think it's a testament to your skills and how well you did that they brought you back there. Season one, you weren't on there too much, but they were no. so memorable. We would always talk about you on the podcast. Every time you were on there, your, I think you call them hiccups. Your, mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, those are amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that was discovered right in that chair right over there. <laughs> nice. It was like it was a moment. It was a moment in time. I, I just remember because I, uh, well, if you've heard me call them hiccups, you probably heard me tell this story. But just briefly, um, after my first audition, you know, they told me to come back and create some sort of physical difficulty for uh, Peter, and I knew that everybody was going to be doing, you know, certain kind of movements and I didn't want to be like everybody else. And, and then when it dawned on me that he's also trying to speak, not just, uh, you know, a physical thing, just out of nowhere, that thing started, you know, and boy, just, just like that, everything else just fell into place. I, I don't, you know, it's just one of those things. And, and I went, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I went back and, and pretty much did what you see in the show. I pretty much did that in the audition. I brought that same kind of, in the second audition. We've heard you speak about preparation in the past as people that don't act for a living. The word preparation when it comes to a scene or a movie or anything doesn't mean too much because we have no idea what that entails. So when you say preparation for a scene, what do you do? Uh, well, <clears throat> of course, it depends on the scene and the, the nature of the scene, what is you know, being required of you. In this particular case, it, it was so much so different from anything I'd ever done because of the physicality. So you have to prepare that, be able to, um, quite frankly, it was ex it's exhausting because in order to get your body to do that, it's almost like an isometric thing. You have to tense everything. And, you know, and by the end of that day, I, I was absolutely because we shot that scene uh, all day, literally. Oh. And it was it was eight pages. It was on nine pages. They cut like three three minutes out of that scene. Wow. It, 
a five minute scene. They cut three minutes out of it, which is fine. It, it, it was, I, they added it like two days before we shot it. He, I got four more pages <laughs> and I think they just wanted to get as much as they could and, and then just whittle it down. But as far as the preparation, you know, I, I don't like just try to memorize lines per se, uh, just like you would memorize a poem or, or, or something like this in school. I, I just read it and read it and read it and read it, read it over and over and over and over again. And when you do that, you, you do memorize it just by the repetition. And that's one of the things, I mean, I feel like doing that over and over again, it becomes very natural because you're not searching for words. They roll off your tongue and you do it enough times that really every take could be different. And I, and this may not be a great way to uh, describe my preparation, but if you do it enough times, it just becomes very natural. But if you don't do it enough times, like one of the mistakes I made as, as a younger actor for auditions, I knew I was good enough to get the part. I knew that I usually when you go in for auditions, you have the sides and they're called sides. And you guys may know that, but you, you hold them, you keep them in your hand. And there was an old adage that you used to have to, if you, you shouldn't memorize it because if you memorize it, they think, well, that's the best you're going to do. That's your mm. performance. But if you have the page and you're referring to the page, they see that, Oh, that was really good. And he wasn't even off book yet. We can know? build off of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and exactly. And I think that's a bunch of crap now because, <laughs> you know, the more you know it, the, the easier it is. And if you're searching for it, either on camera, because I, I do shows all the time with, with actors that come to the, to the set, and usually what you do is when you get to the set, first thing you do is the actors read it. And most actors, including myself, I'll have the, the, the sides in my hand. Uh, I don't use, I don't need them, but uh, I keep them in my hand because everybody else is. And a lot of those actors are still reading. They still don't have it memorized. Some of them can memorize it by just doing it a couple of times. But I don't ever want to be in that position. I don't ever want to be searching for words mm. while the camera's rolling because that's going to take you out of everything. So that's one way that I prepare is just by knowing it so well that it's second nature and you can say it and make it sound like you're saying it for the very first time, even though you've already you've read it dozens of times. Yeah. And by the time you get to, you know, the uh, the 14th take, I mean, depends on how many people are in the scene, how much coverage they're doing. They're doing wide shots, medium shots, you know, two shots, singles, close ups. I used to like to go first, like with coverage. But now I like going last because I've. It's, I've said it so many times mm. by the time they, you know, get to you. And the weird thing is, is that sometimes if they, you know, I think it's sort of a privilege or an honor to, they, they give people to go first. So that happens sometimes. I'm like, you know, my, you know, I'm good. <laughs> but anyway, so that that's, you know, there's no real deep secret to it. It's just uh, knowing it very, very well to where you're not searching at all for it. And then, of course, trying to, especially on physicality, but not even something as, as extreme as what I did uh, with Sir Anthony Hopkins, but know, knowing the physicality of it, you know, just uh, plan ahead. And sometimes that doesn't work because it's completely different than what you think it was going to be. 
Sure. Also, by knowing the words really, really, really well, I think some actors like rehearse it. Uh, and uh, I didn't finish the story from earlier, but uh, they and and they go in with an idea of how they're going to say it, hmm. how they're going to deliver the lines. And I learned this lesson, too, as a young actor going to a scene, a confrontation between my brother and we had even rehearsed it. And when the camera rolled, he played it completely different. Oh, no. And I know that the director told him to do that. It just changed the whole dynamic of, of the scene completely. And it threw me at first. And, you know, the scene came out okay because it kind of pissed me off. <laughs> and it showed. But it was I was supposed to be supposed pissed to be off. Pissed. So I, I don't like tricks like that when directors play tricks. If he came up to me and goes, I just really want you to be really pissed off in this, that's all I need to know. Just tell me how. You don't don't play tricks on me. Mm. So the thing is, is that you can't learn the lines and say, this is how I'm going to say them. Right. So that's what I think being <clears throat> really prepared and have those lines so by rote that you can say them in, in whatever manner you need to. The other thing that I was going to say earlier, as a young man going in and reading, I wouldn't be prepared enough. I wouldn't know those lines enough. And even though they're on the page, it would make you stumble. And in audition, especially back then, if you stumble a little bit, then you start getting ner more nervous and it just comes like out of cards. It just... Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I can so, imagine, I'm thinking, especially some of the scenes where you're calling up lines from King Lear, and this is not the way we generally speak in day-to-day -day conversation, and yet you're making it sound like it's a very natural thing that you pulled out for the situation. So you must have to really just have that in your mind to be able to deliver it that way. Yeah, and you know that that's an interesting point. I uh, I've never done Shakespeare in my entire career. I remember in an acting class doing a soliloquy or whatever from Henry IV. Uh, I can't remember. It was Hotspur. And I just wanted to do it to challenge myself because people ask me, well, you know, the Shakespeare stuff. I mean, you're sitting in front of one of the best Shakespearean actors in the world, and I thankfully I never thought about it like that. And I and thankfully I didn't have to really recite it as a Shakespearean actor. Sure. It was just, you know, it was just the hosts using those words to address the situation, mm -hmm. words that he knew from his programming. Luckily, I didn't, I never, ever thought that. That was, that's kind of crazy. I, mean, I never thought, oh my God, I'm doing Shakespeare in front of Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> and you said that's uh, a full day and exhausting, uh, a good core day. workout. I got there and it was in September. So it was before going back to daylight savings time. So it, it was, you know, it didn't get dark for eight o'clock. And mm. I, I call was 7 a.m. And when I left, it was dark, you know, so we shot that all day. Yeah. But I'm sure you appreciated the core workout since you were naked. <laughs> Keep it tight, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, that's another thing people say, oh, my God, I, how'd you do that? I, I tell you what, you know, five minutes in. That was just the, the least of my concerns Sure, because I just so wanted to make that work, you know. But, yeah, that, that was uh, – did you say core? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to uh, – plus I knew that scene was coming and I knew I was going to be naked. And uh, so I, I, I told – I used to tell people I had to stay in naked shape 
uh, <laughs> all the time because in that show, especially season one, you never knew when you were going to have to be naked. And that scene, there are pieces of all the dialogue between Anthony Hopkins and I when when it's the you know this shot that like you're seeing on your camera here the uh, here up. Those were uh, all done the same day. The scene where I'm when they first walk in, he takes his coat off and Teresa uh, or well, uh, she was like saying, well, you know, we have to put him down or whatever. And, and he's going, do you mind? Let's just see what the problem is. And then she goes and gets behind the glass. And then at the end, she walks in and they have enough. those conversations were uh, redone because Amanda Otto played that in the pilot. And then it took two years before or a year. I can't remember exactly how long before we went into production of, of season one. And she had taken a job on Homeland. And so they had to reshoot, reshoot those parts. So the last scene where I freeze and they come in and like, what the hell was that? And, you know, and then they're all standing there. And that was months, months later. And, wow. and before uh, the sh that I knew I was coming back to the show and I wasn't, in my opinion, in naked shape. <laughs> and so I could, I could tell like I was a little heavier <laughs> And uh, now I was like, I see that. Jesus ah, Christ. <laughs> I think it's the, it's the last thing anyone's focused on when we're watching that scene. So no worries. It's <laughs> a vain actor, you know. So, like, so riveted. Well, I'm just thinking, don't you actually have to grab Dr. Ford, Anthony Hopkins, when you yeah, start get getting angry? <laughs> I mean, well, and that really uh, comes through. Yeah. They give you something to cover your manhood. It's mm. Yeah, it's like a like a sock, and uh, I I mean the scene where I walk through all the people, uh, you know, in the cold storage. I mean, me and and Timothy, the, the kid that I say kid, you know, he he's younger than me, but that we were putting cold storage together. <laughs> That's really a funny story, but he he had never done uh, a nude scene, and he came to the makeup trailer with his robe on, which is our wardrobe is that sock. Yeah, and, <laughs> and he's he, he said lewis what's this and he pulled i said that's your wardrobe it's like, <laughs> and uh so he you know we decided that you know that room was full of naked people there were some dummies in with all those people but they're it's really hard to pick them out uh it's probably if you really looked at a still shot you could pick them out because like the really really obese hosts in there were not real but you know, 98% of the people in there were real people and wow. they're painted and they're naked. So we decided, Hey, you know, let's, let's do the full Monty. So when we were walking through those people, we were completely naked. But, uh, and that's a bizarre thing. When people ask me what that's like, I said, you know, that dream you have when you, you're out in the middle of the street, you're naked, and, you know, everybody's had that uncomfortable naked. Oh, dream. for sure. Yeah. It's, it's that dream, but now add, Sir Anthony Hopkins looking at you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's <laughs> no and pressure. People say, God, it must have been hard doing that with him. And I'm like, nah, it was, he made it so easy. He is, mm. I just can't say enough about him. He is uh, the sweetest, kindest, most generous of spirit. You know, they did his coverage first. The very first scene was a shot over my shoulder and did all of his coverage. And I had to do everything 100 percent. 
you know, even when it's on him, especially when it's on him to get his reaction. Sure. So after the very first take, he just smiled and went like that. <laughs> and then it was like, okay, I got this. Let's do this. Aww. You know? Sure. Yeah. He digs it. That I'm doing it well. Easier. Let's go for it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's like, yeah, he, it, what a treat. It was a highlight of my career for sure. Would be mine. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I'd be able to speak personally if that was me. Yeah. But it'd be great. <laughs> well, you would because he would put you at ease. He really. I mean, he. He's just that kind of a man. He's not that kind, as in, yeah, that kind. He's a kind person, and he put you. He put put me at ease. We we read through it. We had a rehearsal a couple. You know, a couple of days before I started, and uh, we just read through it. I didn't do all that gyrations and stuff and you know i mean after the rehearsal he gave me a hug and you know he just completely and and when i was introduced to him jonah nolan introduced us uh lewis sir anthony hopkins and he goes call me tony and everybody calls him tony he he insists on that so that's kind of guy he is that's amazing related to dolores throughout all the challenges that peter abernathy has it seems like he continually struggles to return back to his narrative as a father, his desire to protect Dolores. Do you think that there was some genuine connection that developed over time more than just programming from him to her? Yeah, I I don't think there's any doubt of that. And I use that because when Anthony Hopkins in that first scene says, you know, what are your, what are your drives? And I tell him, you know, uh, take care of my wife, take care of my herd. And then he pauses. And I wasn't aware of this while I was doing it. And then he goes in your third. And I'm just sort of waiting because that's the setup. It's like, this is it, babe. This is what it's all about. Got to take care of my daughter, Dolores, of course. She is, I am who I am because of her. You know, so it is his narrative. It's his main goal. And no matter what, uh, my favorite scene I think, in the whole series that I did was in season two, episode three, I think it is, where she comes into the fort and Mm. on the cot. Mm. That scene just breaks my heart Yeah, every time. Whenever Evan and I have to do a scene like that or like when I was at the end when I was strapped into the chair, nailed into the chair, Mm. uh, when we get in close proximity – of each other. I mean, the emotion just starts welling up. And like when we do the first little rehearsals, you know, we're like, you know, crying and, and the directors are like going, save it, save it. <laughs> like, we can't help it. It's going to be there every time. And it always is. And that, that scene where he's on the bed in the almost fetal position. And as soon as he hears her voice, he stops shaking. And then it's like, it's that, I don't know if I'm answering your question, because it's it's I'm mixing uh, the character and the actor mm. it answer I think. But I think but, that's the perfect answer because exactly it shows through the screen. I mean, I, the way she says, um, I don't remember exactly, yeah. but she calls you a daddy. I'm, I'm going to get you help, daddy. Whoa, yeah, so much. Yeah, because yeah, he goes back to the the ranch script. We're we're going to go home. We're going to yes. bring the cattle in, and it's getting late. Oh. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that, that, that is heartbreaking. And I've had so many people contact me and say, you know, did, were you using, uh, like, uh, a a, a per, did you know somebody who had dementia? Is that Mm. because 
they're they're like you reminded me of my father when he had dementia or my grandfather and it looked just like that i didn't use that and my mother suffered with dementia before she passed so uh, i wasn't using that as a, a tool but looking at it i can certainly you know see how it would you know people would perceive it that way i tell you i love working with her man she it's just it's just so effortless, and there just a, was a connection from the very first. The very first scene that I shot on the show, well, the very first scene, the Welcome to Westworld scene, was me going into cold storage, the naked scene. Oh. Very first day, first scene, Lisa Joy's like, I'm so sorry, Lewis, we had to start <laughs> like this. But, you know, and, and I think Ben Barnes's first scene was the orgy scene. And oh. it was just like, it was just a weird happenstance that, that a lot of people first scenes, the way the schedule turned out was, you know, naked. But, um, so yeah, what was I saying? What was I get? Oh, the first scene with Dolores was on the porch, the porch scene. Sure. So we got the, the first part where, you know, she comes down and I say, you're going out to set down some of this natural splendor. And we go through that. And then, we did however many takes of that. And, you know, we actually did shoot the first two times she comes down. And then, you know, the first time it just come down, it's very short and going out, set down some of this natural splendor. And then the second time we go into a little bit more of a scene. So we shot that. And then we shot the scene with the photograph. Mm. And so that was really the first time. So ever from that, from that spot on, you know, we just had this connection. It was, I've never really had, that with another actor i've never had that kind of connection so by the time we get to the the second season and like the the scene on the cot and the scene where she's nailing me down i mean our emotions were just peaking i think that was so critical to set down especially now as we're into this third season because it's revisiting a lot of those things particularly with dolores of does she have that human element of emotion and connection to other people? And so my mind constantly goes back to, well, remember those scenes with her father, with Peter Abernathy, and it did seem like that was developing. And some scenes with Teddy, too, but I think mostly with, with your character. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I made a little video, and I just sent it to my sister and a couple of friends. You know, in the beginning of this season, she's talking to herself in Charlotte Hale. Right. And she said, you know, we're when she's first telling her, she goes, why can't I be you? Why, why do I have to be, you know? And she goes, we're alone. We have no mother. We have no father. And I made a little video. So it would have been like, you know, like if that, if that's the, the TV and I show the scene and then I go, but Dolores, wait, Delo- Hey, Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I don't know. She'll end up, you know, ruling the world. It'd be nice if she remembers her her dear old dad. But Yeah, well, we keep waiting every time there's hosts being brought back. We're like, do you think it could be Peter? Could Could he come back? You know? (laughs) We're hoping for it. Well, thank you. There's been a lot of guessing. A lot of people, like some of the people that do the analyzing the shows, I guess kind of like you guys do, but like on YouTube, several thought that, I was in hail. Ah. Uh, Peter was, was in hail. Uh, no, that wasn't the case. <laughs> no, we, we brought that up. We threw it around. But that's Did exactly you? what we do. We do research and then we come up with theories. And we have an army of, we call them clatchers. 
because we're the yeah. coffee class crew. Coffee, yeah. And so they come in, we're a digital water cooler. And it, it's so amazing because we get write-ins with different types of ideas and theories. And the digital water cooler is especially important right now with everyone being forced to stay within themselves at home. And we already have that tight-knit family, so we don't feel alone. Yeah, amazing. well, and with this this show particularly, too, because so many shows now are streaming. You're not sitting down at the same time, Sunday nights, tweeting mm. about it, coming yeah. on a podcast, talking about it. So it has sort of been the one constant where we can come and discuss that, and that's been amazing. <clears throat> you know, it's really, uh, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, and I know y'all do a Game of Thrones podcast, too, or cover it in your podcast, but there have been very few shows, in my opinion, like Westworld, where you have to do so much work, you know, sure. it's, and, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I've, I've seen, well, this season I haven't, I've seen a couple of the episodes more than once, you know, twice, but in the previous two seasons, I saw every show at least two times. And in many cases, three times, you know, just, just to try to get, and, and there were times in season two where, uh, I would go and do these live podcasts you know, on camera. Yeah. And I think I can't remember which episode it was, but I remember while I was driving over there after watching the show, I was like, Oh my God, I, I hope they don't ask me questions that I look like an idiot that I can't answer because, um, yeah, it, it was, I thought the second season especially was really confused. Oh, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. Than the, the first part of the so, fun of it. Yeah. The second season was more of a mystery. The first season was, it was a mystery, but it was also a game that everyone wanted to be in. Like, the thought of being in that world mm. is amazing. If I could escape and spend 40 grand a day, <laughs> you know, I would be there. And Westworld, like you, would be mine as well. That would be my favorite park. If you could pick one. Yeah. Going back to what we were saying before, one of the things about season one was, are they awake to go into what you were talking about in regards to the real feelings a father and yeah. child was going through. We were feeling that with our hosts all through season one. You know, that felt too real. There's got to be something going on with these hosts. That's not ones and zeros. Yeah. That's not binary. There's something real going on. And that was the journey we had in season one. Season two was what's going on with Bernard? <laughs> is is he, I think we're more confused than Bernard, <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> Poor Bernard. Poor Bernard. No, I agree. But, you know, I'm sure y'all have seen the original movie, right? Yeah. So, you know, when I first auditioned, I asked him, I said, do you want these to be like really, do you want to know that these are robots or Mm. do you want them? They said, no, absolutely not. Absolutely play it real. There's not a, except like for you when, because I was, I didn't audition for Peter Abernathy. I auditioned for the sheriff. But everyone, everyone got basically a version of the scene with Anthony Hopkins. The dialogue was different. The characters were different. But he put you through three different characters. Mm. And so but every and I guess every woman, too, must have had a scene. But if you were going to play a robot, you had to read the part that you were auditioning for and do that same scene. Everybody Mm. did that scene. So, yeah. And that's when I, I said, do you want me to be? Uh, real or robotic, and they said only between the characters. Mm. You know, that's when we want you to bring some physicality to it to look robotic. Mm. But otherwise, you know, when you get into the character, it's just real. 
not seeing the the ones and zeros, I think, is was part of the plan, which I guess, you know, made it a, a lot easier. You know, like uh, Angela says to William, if you can't tell, does it matter? Yeah. And I think that was just used in the last. It was. Yes, yep. it was. I, I yes, could see was. you were wondering if it came out. Yes, it did. Yeah, yeah by uh, Ed, I guess, used that. Fantastic yeah. scenes. Oh. oh, yeah. So good. The the last William scenes in this Absolutely. past episode. Yeah. Um, stupid question alert, just because we're curious. The yeah. the house, the porch that you were on, the, the ranch. Abernathy Ranch, was that a real yeah. house? It is. Mm. It's um, it's out. Uh, at a place called Sky Ranch. Uh, do y'all know it out here at all? Do you know the lay of the land out here at all? No. Well, it's like, I don't know, 25, 30 miles from, I live in Santa Monica. It's sort of in the mountainous area just above uh, Los Angeles to the north and, and, and west. <clears throat> it's actually the same house. I mean, it's a movie house, but it is a big, it is a real house. Like the, you know, when you go inside, it's, um, the rooms are real large so you can get all the equipment in and, uh, the stairwell, I don't, I don't believe there's anything upstairs. I I don't think there's any, there are any rooms upstairs, but there, there are all their bedrooms and stuff downstairs, but it, it is a, it's on a movie ranch. So it is a prop house, but it is a real house. It's also the house I'm pretty sure uh, that they used in Mr. Banks. What was that movie with Tom Hanks about Disney? Goodness. Anyway, but so it, it, it was the same house. But yeah, it's a real house and it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> all that scenery and it's all just, the splendor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Splendor. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a stupid question. Okay. Well, I, you know, is, was it real? You're always afraid to ask an actor, was that real? You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it, it's good that it, it looks it. I have a question as far as acting. So Zom McLaren plays Keechada on Westworld. I know that you guys didn't have any scenes together, but he's also on Longmire, the other right. show that you're on. Yeah. Do you get to work with him at all in either of those circumstances? I never worked with Zon on Longmire and I really hadn't I didn't meet him until I met him I think around season three on Longmire. But, you know, I've, I've gotten to know him since, you know, outside of, of work. Uh, great guy. And my God, his performance in that episode. That, that episode was a masterpiece. <laughs> Everything about it, the director, the direction, uh, the writing, and my God, their performances, especially Zahn. I was heartbroken that he wasn't nominated for an Emmy for that. Mm. And, and the director, I can't remember her name. She's German, Uda, and I don't remember her last name. But, I mean, it was just a masterpiece. It was just just beautiful, everything about it. Zahn's one hell of an actor. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. amazing well, to watch. <clears throat> we agree. Podcasting-wise, I mean, we talk about that episode all the time, yeah. right? One of our favorites. Yeah. I want to take a step back, because I've been looking at your background, and mm-hmm. I noticed you have a lot of beautiful paintings. Mm. Yeah, I collect art. I, uh, this is a, an artist that I, I don't know who this artist is, but, mm. uh, he was inspired by Mo Digliani. You can tell that's yeah. a, that painting is also the same artist. This is actually a copy of a Mo Digliani. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And, uh, you know, and this is my, it's a little messy cause my, I haven't been, but this is, oh, wow. Awesome. 
Wow. That is amazing. Just, you built a great world for you. Oh, Westworld. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> original Westworld, that's an original bullet. Oh. Uh, which uh, is, is the movie that inspired me to go into showbiz. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah, this is my entryway. So there are paintings everywhere. That's also that same uh, artist. Oh, that, yeah. We both come from a fine arts background. So really? that's, that's where we met. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so, I mean, we didn't take that route. I became an art therapist, and he's in digital art. He does website design, but... Oh, really? Did you say art therapist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that response a lot. Um, basically, just like any other kind of therapy, except instead of just talk, um, my clients will create art as a form of healing expression. Wow. That's great. I, I, I'm so, I love it so much. I, I've threatened to, you know, get some canvases and brushes and paint and see what happens. Do it. But yeah, I really need to do it. Um, I mean, Anthony Hopkins, you know, he, he paints and he sells his paintings for a ton of money and he's very talented. Uh, but he, 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 I forget he was doodling or doing something and his wife said, you should do this. You mm. should paint. He's like, I can't paint. And she said the same thing. Just go and paint. Just do it. See what happens. Yeah. He's got beautiful paintings. He's very different. Uh, yeah. You know what, though? Hopkins, with all due respect, how many things can you be so good at? You got composure. You got <laughs> art. Limit. You got acting. Leave some oh. for everybody else, please. <laughs> uh, exactly. Man, he's a renaissance man. He, the, the, I asked him about the, uh, the composition because, you know, when I knew I was going to work with him, I did, I look, you know, I did my research on him. I mean, everybody knew who he was and everything, but I'd never really heard him in interviews. And when you do hear him give an interview, you can see what kind of person he is and how down to earth and sweet he is. And that's when I learned about his composing and, you know, the thing he did in Vienna with Andre Ryu. And, uh, uh, it, it was just amazing. And, uh, so when I watched that, I was so moved by it and I asked him about it, you know, and I, I said, what was, um, I think my question was, what was more exciting or which was a more memorable experience, receiving your Oscar or having your waltz, you know, performed by Andre Ryu in Vienna in this amazing place? He never answered the question, but he got into talking about how he'd been composing music for many, many years. And he loved Andre Ryu and he thought, you know, he's never going to. Yeah, you'll think this is child's play, but I'm going to send it to him anyway. So he sent it to him. He goes, I know that, you know, I'm an amateur, but, and he contacted him and says, it's beautiful. I want to perform it. Oh, That's amazing. Wow. Can you imagine? No, not really. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you, do y'all paint? Do you? Yeah. Do you, we yeah. do. I, I'm not good, <laughs> but um, I guess good. that's part of art therapy really is it's more about doing it makes me feel good. So, yeah. yeah, we've got our, our we've got paintings crappy paintings here. all around the well, attic. It's uh, an escape for us because we have to do it professionally. So with web design, I have to create commercially. So there's always a goal, and I can't get too out of the norm. You know, there's a square they gave me, create out of that, make it work. So painting for us is a time where there's no rules. Let's have fun, play some music, let's get Why dirty. Have a painting right behind you there. Why, why, that, and why oh. wouldn't you put some of your art out? Oh, There's it's one... over in the corners, but 
they are not really on camera, I guess. That's fantastic. Oh, now, what thank is you. Oil or? It's, no, all acrylics because it's more forgiving. Yeah. You can just <laughs> paint right over it if you want to. But it's not, I, I started out, uh, pencil drawings were my comfort zone. That's what I think I'm better at. And paint is so much more loose. So it mm. is, I guess, uh, it's not as good, but it's more therapeutic. Well, if I paint it, it'll be, it will be loose. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. A really uh, quick, because I want to explain a little more art therapy. She's not good at explaining sure. what it is. Oh. I'll, I'll give you what I learned from it just off of the years of listening to her speak about it and describe what she's doing. One easy way to explain is she specializes in veterans. PTSD. PTSD. Trauma. War veterans. Wow. So if you, if you sit a veteran down and you say, tell me how you feel. Now, granted, I'm giving you a dumbed down version. (laughs) They're not going to be, they've been trained for years not to show feelings, not to express what they're feeling at this time. But if you can take the mindset of a therapist, um, but also apply it to a medium where it feels like they're just having fun, expressing themselves freely, there is no pressure, you know, I'm not going to tell you how I feel. She can break down, she has many exercises where she can break down how they're drawing, the, the brush strokes, locations, colors. What it could mean, yeah. What it could wow. mean, and then she can input therapy throughout that from that given that they're telling her more via these paintings than they would ever say verbally or could because trauma a lot of times you don't it's even hidden. you don't even have words for those experiences i guess it's akin to or similar to being able to um analyze handwriting and stuff like mm. that i mean sure. something that people do uh, subconsciously exactly. and and yet tells a huge story or get a lot of information from exactly, exactly. they don't even realize what they're telling you you also have another therapy that you're using right now. This one? <laughs> I, I talk about this all the time. I'm Italian, and in the normal course of things, I would be you doing this. It is. <laughs> so I have to restrain myself somehow. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's great. That's great therapy, too. We'll just ask you a, a few more. I know. Thank you so much. You've given us a oh. lot of time already. Um, Enjoying it. Is there... Any character that you haven't portrayed as an actor yet that you would like to? You know, that role that you think about, man, I would love to do that. Yeah, I have played many, many different roles. Uh, I think I would like to play sort of a, well, I wouldn't mind playing a full on, you know, do a Western where I played a Western character, somebody from that era. Uh, I was fascinated by the Civil War, used to collect Civil War memorabilia and things years ago. And uh, I wouldn't mind. It's not so much the characters being in that environment and living while shooting in that sort of an environment. And I, I'd like to do, I mean, I just any, any, any character that goes on a journey, you know, it's, it's great to, to do a character that literally has an arc. One of my pet peeves about a lot of network TV is that the characters have no ending. You, 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 you're, you're doing this thing, you're reading the script and you're going, Oh, this, and then you're like, you get to the, well, what this character <laughs> disappeared. They just had the scene and they disappeared. And that, that, uh, that always irks me. So, but I think as far as like spe- more specifically, um, 
I don't know. I'd like to play a, a, almost any kind of character that somebody like Steve McQueen used to play. Um, you know, we, he's understated. Uh, you know, a, a lot of actors love lines, you know, give me more lines, give me <laughs> more things to say. I'd like to play a role where you barely say anything. Mm. I think it would be a challenge to play somebody, for example, that was maybe uh, a deaf mute or, you know, something, something that really challenges. I, the more f afraid of the role I am, the, the better, Sure. you know, like I was scared to death of Peter Abernathy. Yeah. When I got the role, when I was told I got the role by my agents was like five weeks, I'd forgotten about it. You know, and I said, so I got the sheriff. I'm playing the sheriff. She goes, no, you're playing Peter Abernathy. You know, I, who? <laughs> I had no idea who, who he was. And then they said, you know, that scene you auditioned with, that's basically the character. And I went, but that scene was with Dr. Ford. And I read in the trades, mm -hmm. Anthony Hopkins playing that role. And they go, yep. And I'm like, I'm doing that scene with Anthony Hopkins. And they were like, yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's scary. Awesome. But it, it. You know, it's like anything. You rise to the, <clears throat> pardon me, you rise to the occasion. It's impetus to do the best you can. So yeah, I, so any kind of role. I love emotional roles. I really do. I can use my life's uh, worth of ups and downs. That you know. Yeah, to from, bring into it. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of sheriff, home before dark. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have uh -oh. you guys? Do you have Apple TV? No, unfortunately. I just know from the research, we don't have Apple TV yet. We're, yeah. we're working on, we're going to cut the cord of cable, and we're just going to get HBO. We already have Netflix. We're going to get Apple TV. We have Disney Plus, and I think we'll be set there. And that's one of the first oh, yeah. shows we want to watch. Well, that the new HBO thing that they're doing, what do they call it, HBO Max or whatever it is, yeah. it's like, man, it's got everything. Everything. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, but Apple TV, I mean, it's like $49 a year. It's really inexpensive. Um, but yeah, Home for Dark, uh, wonderful little show. Great. You know, my daughter can actually watch it. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we, in fact, I just uh, filmed an uh, episode from season two, which we were right in the middle of when, you know, all hell broke loose. Yeah. And so I literally just finished an episode, got back from Vancouver, and within days they shut everything down not just that show but everything but yeah. it's a wonderful show and little gal that's a star brooklyn prince she's just amazing hmm. she it's like i think it's the best child performance i've ever seen ever wow she's just incredible and yeah i recommend it highly sheriff sheriff briggs is a piece of work though let me tell you well that's what i love about it cuz just the research you're you're not a bad guy, and the character doesn't feel like he's a bad guy, right? But That's what they tell me. Okay. <laughs> I wish no. I got to see it. It looks uh, amazing. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it'll be there uh, for a while. But, yeah, he um, – because I would be doing the scenes, and I'd tell the producer, like, you know, this guy's got to be in jail season two, right? I mean, <laughs> well, he believes in what he's doing. It's the right thing. He believes he's doing the right thing. So they they didn't necessarily see me as a bad guy. So I tried, and I didn't play him that way. I played him like he believed in what he was doing. But, you know, he was, well, I don't want to say too much in case people are listening to this and, sure. and won't watch it. But 
Uh, I recommend it highly because, you know, it's a it's a beautiful family and it's based on a on a real person, mm -hmm. uh, Hildy Lysak, 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 I think is the name. But she was a nine year old girl whose dad was a, a, a journalist and she caught the bug when she was just a little girl. And by the time she was nine years old, she had a website. She was a journalist and she wow. was doing stories and apparently solved a uh, 30-year-old cold case. And the producers read this, about this little girl and contacted her and and created this whole series based on <laughs> her this nine-year-old's life. Wow. Yeah, just watching the trailer, I was so intrigued. And there's so many actors, the cast, Jim Sturges. Yeah. Abby Miller from The Magicians. Yeah. The Magicians. Yeah, she played Emily Greenstreet. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just wonderful. They're great. Mikey Weston, um, who plays my son. And yes, the, yes. the thing about that show is uh, I never play my age, my real age. Um, they either, if you, if you can see in the trailer, when my hair is completely gray and all wrinkled up. So they age me and then they make me 30 years younger than that. Mm. <laughs> They wanted a, a wider variance of, of age, so they had to age me, and then which makes me look much younger when they put the dark wig on and do a little CGI too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a little off-putting first time I saw it. Oh, I'm oh sure. I can You're imagine. Like, Jeez. Yeah. Well, first time I saw it. I mean, the, the makeup itself definitely made me look younger. There's no question of that, especially when you compare it to the to the old guy. But that was an interesting thing. I didn't know that was going to happen when I got the job. I didn't know that until I sat in the makeup chair the first time. And they said, we're going to age you. And I'm like, oh, really? So every time I work on that show, it's a long makeup day because they're either aging me or making me look younger. How long does it take? Well, it, it got shorter and shorter. But at first it was you know, a good two hours, then an hour to take it off. Sometimes, I mean, even at first, maybe a little bit longer than two hours as they got used and got into a routine, it was a little less, but it was always like even, even days where I had uh, the pages of a script are uh, divided into one eighths. So a half page is four eighths, you know, and, and so forth. Even when I had a, a one eighth page, no dialogue scene that, that is about 10, 15 seconds. If that, that's still a six hour day. Mm. Wow. Because it, I still have to go through all that makeup just to do that one tiny little scene. You know, if you have other scenes that day, that's one thing. But I remember this one particular day where I was like, man, God, I wish I could have added this on to it. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but. So we just recently had a special. We also do Patreon uh, in addition to the regular podcast. And we talked a lot about the future of technology, if we saw any things, any themes that come out of Westworld being possible at some point in the future, uh, whether we find that exciting or scary, the ideas of it. But then the question we asked to everyone was, if you could have one piece of futuristic tech, something that you see in Westworld, what would it be for you? Uh, I think it would be just off the top of my head, since you, I haven't been asked this question, uh, would probably be out of this season, those flying taxi cab looking yeah. things, or, or maybe one of those motorcycles you can, you know, just call yeah. it. Call it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, so that's probably the answer to that question. I'm sure there, 
other things I could come up with if I thought about it for much longer. But I do think that you said something about it being, you know, whether it's cool or scary. It's amazing how even last season when it was revealed about the, the, data, the data mining that was going on, we shot that long before that Analytica, what was the name of that company that they found was doing the data mining of people? The, uh, and, and I think that, uh, you know, it's just uncanny how even this season and the, the way they're talking about what they're doing, I mean, that's going on. I mean, mm. you know, I got one of those scam emails just this morning. The subject matter of the email is, a, is your password. It was an old password, and I could tell that it was old. And then it says, we have video of you, blah, blah, blah. you know, yeah. doing this and blah, blah, you know, and all this stuff and pay us 2000 in Bitcoin or else we'll, you know. And I, I didn't even panic because, first of all, the password is so old and I haven't used in forever. Uh, so I just looked it up online and it's, yeah, it's a scam. Someone's gotten an old password and they're not really in your computer and it is. It does make you think, you know, because people can do that. And you probably know this better than most since you deal in, in web building and stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I think uh, two things. I think that the, the, where we're going with technology could be become very scary. And uh, all whenever there's new technology, it's always weaponized mm-hmm. in some. Of course, yeah. And mm-hmm. that's scary. Yeah, now imagine we have technology in our bodies. Mm-mm. Everyday life, we depend on technology in our eyes, in our, we have a drip, you know, we have a fully mechanical arm, you know, that's web-based. Mm-hmm. Now imagine hacking. That's pretty scary. Yeah, you're talking about people that have been... Well, I'm saying like- in the future, if we have a drip... Or we have, you know, an eye that's a computer inside of it. Mechanically uh, modified you know, in me- some way. Yeah. Or let's say we have like eye robot, an yeah. arm. Yeah. Right. Fully mobile arm. Right. Now imagine getting hacked and then you kill like the president or something. And you're like, it was, ha- I was hacked. I swear to God, that wasn't my hand. <laughs> right. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, who knows? I mean, but I definitely, I've been saying this since day one that Westworld is a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. Sure. It, it really is. And, and then when all that stuff, when it was released, what they're really, what Westworld was really about with the data mining and the fact that uh, something Analytica, British Analytica, uh, you know, it was, it was just sort of mind boggling how to me, I think that the, that the creators, Jonah and Lisa are just brilliant. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're, minds are brilliant i mean i've had people ask me well what would you have done if this or what how would you i'm like don't yeah. even i'm not going to get into the that realm there i can't even come close to visualizing yeah. how to uh, yeah I, I just would never do that I, I wouldn't even try it but i do think it's a it's uncanny how much of a cautionary tale westworld is yeah yeah it's very smart because it all has some basis in current ideas so you could see it just projected out into the future yeah. how it could maybe go like that even this last episode where William is in the treatment center and he's getting his AR therapy we talked a little bit about how there's current VR therapy that's sort of like that for treating PTSD so I think that's what the creators do that make it so brilliant and a little scary at times yeah 
Well, I, I also believe that there's technology out there that, that we don't know about yet. Sure. We, the public, I, I'm absolutely convinced of that. And I think there's some mind blowing technology that exists that for whatever reasons, uh, we may never know. Certainly not in my lifetime, maybe not even in, in your lifetime. I mean, ways of space travel and stuff like this. Like, for example, I think this is my personal feeling is that moving at the speed of light, which everyone says fastest that, that things can travel. I, I don't believe that. Mm. In fact, they already proved that it was by a fraction, but they actually beat the speed of sound, uh, a speed of light. I'm sorry. You know, so I, I, I don't think that our physics are all, you know, I think there's more to it. Mm. Absolutely. Really. And to go back to what you were saying, if, if you could have one technology and you were talking about those helicopters, those right. taxi helicopters, taxi. Uh, in our Patreon, almost a year ago, we, st- we were talking about what Uber's doing. Mm-hmm. Uber Air, and they're trying to get money together. They're testing, and it's at first going to be, um, well, um, drones. It's a right. large drone. At first, it's going to be human-driven, and it's going to be carpool-based so that people can afford it. Right. And they were saying some of the issues that they have to do is um, the world isn't ready for it, meaning there's not helipads right. on every other building in the city. Right. But they'll work on it. So at first, they're going to have a, a couple of um, testers testers where it goes to locations that are frequent. And it's going to have to be carpooled so that you can afford it. And it's going to be man-driven. But their goal is that it's going to be AI-driven. Eventually. And there will be helipads <laughs> everywhere. So wherever you want to go, it'll land. It'll take you. The Uber app, you just call it. It'll come in. That's exactly what we saw on Westworld. Yeah. It's amazing. Very prescient. A lot yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. And But of course, on Westworld, those things are, are some sort of, they're not helicopters, mm-hmm. right? They don't have blades, do they? They just sort of... No, I think they do. It looks like a giant drone. It's more drone-like, right. So the blades are tiny little circles, and there's like oh. four of them that can move. That, I think. That, that thing that has the, like the, middle and then it has the two wing looking things that comes in and that has really i didn't even notice that it had blades on i think so uh, i'm doubting yeah. myself now but i think perhaps. you're right i mean it's not like a helicopter no, like you're I'm saying. sure you're right because i haven't uh, paid attention to it enough well, thank you so much this is amazing yeah it's been a pleasure having you on really thank you for taking the time to meet with us happy to do it i appreciate what you guys do i mean you're you're a you know, the people that do what you do are integral part of the show's success. I mean, you keep people interested, you know, the, you give people a place to try to figure this craziness out. <laughs> yeah. You know, shows, you know, because yeah, it, I mean, I, I've tuned in many times to podcasts and the people that break down the, the episode stuff. Cause like, and it's uncanny how some of them just like immediately after the show, they're like, Oh, well, you know, Dolores is doing this and Maeve and bye bye. And they like, they got, I'm like, wow, how did you catch that? that easy? <laughs> yeah. That quickly. Like, wow. I'm dumber than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're just not paying. You don't need to pay that much of attention. Yeah. Freeze free. Every, couple of <laughs> scenes so that Pause, you can see it take a photo what does that say <laughs> but if, you know <laughs> well i do find myself freezing the, the the screen to 
try to catch some of the stuff on the little tablets. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. They don't give you a whole lot. They gave you a lot more in season one and two probably, but these, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're not that's a big secret, I guess. At least that's my assessment. How do you think this is going to all end this season? You oh, I think in the end, Peter Abernathy oh. comes up. Okay. <laughs> he just said, you know, it got picked up. We, oh, we yes. heard and we are thrilled, by the way. Yeah. Cause and they said it'll probably get uh, as many as five or six episodes or uh, seasons. I definitely uh, want five. It feels like there's a lot more story to tell. I definitely think so. But anyway, I interrupted. What, what, uh, how do you think? What are you thinking is going to happen? Oh, I was making a joke. I said, I, 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 f- I just think, like, towards the end, Peter Abernathy comes in, and then... Uh, <laughs> I, I would love it. But you know what, though? All jokes aside, I honestly, and you don't have to say anything, I honestly, I don't think this season has uh, an Abernathy. But I think knowing that there's green light for season four, I think there's room... At some if, point. ...if it fits, to bring you back. And I really hope they do. I really hope so too. <laughs> I, you know, I have ideas about how that could happen, but you know, like I said, I'm not. Uh, I would never try to make a suggestion to the creators of this show. They, they have a very clear idea. I think at this point where it's going to go. You know, it's like sure. James Marsden said in an interview that it's not about figuring out the next episode or the. Yeah, I think he said this last season in, in an interview. It's it's trying to figure out how the next few seasons are going to go, where where season six is going to go and how it's going to end. And I have no question. There's no question in my mind. They thought of all that. So, you know, who knows? He could certainly come back. Uh, it'd be fun. Big picture wise, you know, we've been throwing a lot out there. Some ideas that people are talking about that we don't like, such as this entire season is a simulation which we're, we're hoping that's not true. Wondering if in the show they have done something to planet Earth that they're kind of destroying it. And so wealthier people like Sirach are not really spending too much time there. You know, maybe that's the whole rocket ship thing is that they're on space stations or they're somewhere else and trying to figure out how they can write the course of what they've done to Earth. Um, and then personally, just thinking maybe the AI-human hybrid has to be the answer. It's not one or the other humans are hosts, and that's why someone like William or Bernard are so critical to the storyline. Yeah, and we were talking about just last episode, William's speech, his group meeting, the beginning of the episode, is very reminiscent to the Matrix speech. Yeah. And in the Matrix speech, and we put it in our podcast, he talks about our first world that we made for you was happiness, pure joy that we were trying to give you. But for some reason, you humans kept rebelling against this as if it wasn't in your nature to be happy. So then he talks about the different types of worlds they made for the humans so that they can use them as batteries. I don't think that's the same thing, but I think if you find a parallel storyline with that, it could fit into Westworld. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, without question, I think they're absolutely right. <laughs> it's it, that's a really interesting thing, isn't it? When they say we created a world where you're all happy, we gave you and and you just you just couldn't you couldn't be happy. You just yeah. had to, you know, fuck it up somehow. <laughs> uh, but that that is it's just true, really. Mm. I mean, you know, we we do seem to find a way to screw things up. You know, it's interesting with the the, the virus, and, and I'm sure y'all have seen this, that 
the satellite, I guess, infrared or however they do it, they show the pollution levels of, of the world. Like I'm telling you, I live 18 blocks from the ocean, but, and it's always, the air is fresh here and it's, it's wonderful, but there's no, there's no comparison to the way it is now yeah. and the way it was before. It's like, I smell things that I haven't smelled in Santa Monica in decades. I've been here almost four decades. Mm. It's just so clean and everything. Uh, and when I first moved to LA, it was months before when I was driving down into the valley because we're in, it's called the valley. You go over a mountain range, Santa Monica Mountains. And then there's the valley. And then on the other side of the valley, there's a massive mountain range. I was here months before I even knew that that mountain range was there because hmm. of the smog. So back in the yeah. 80s, early 80s when I moved here, smog was horrible. So it's gotten a lot better, but it's another level of now. It's just, God, it's just amazing. And so, again, this is the way we're doing it all to ourselves, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, it's happening all around the world. Water is cleaner. And it's been a month and a half, uh, and the world is healing itself? Fortunately, I don't know that I'm seeing that big of a difference in New York, but we're probably one of the worst. Yeah, we're not in the city. I bet you could see it in the city, Maybe, yeah. the difference, yeah. the drastic difference. What, what, the air, you mean, and the, so forth? Yeah, the air and the water around Manhattan. You don't want to swim there. Oof. And I'm sure you still don't want to swim there right now, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, when we move, we pollute, you know? When That's we... exactly what they say in The Matrix. <laughs> he says it in that speech, thing. we move to a spot and we grow like a virus and we destroy where consume we are, and destroy. we consume and destroy, and then we move to another spot in order to survive, and then we consume there like a virus. Wow. And it's all too real. I'm hoping this is a wake-up call. I, unfortunately, I think there's too much money behind the big machine that as soon as everything's going again, it's just going to push it back oh, to where absolutely. we were. And probably even, maybe even harder than before. Hopefully it will wake people up and make them see that you know we, we the way that the the planet is reacting to this shutdown uh, is a good thing. And I also think that I hope, and I said this, and I think you probably read the article. I said that hopefully people will use this as a reset. I mean, it's a time we can reset a lot of stuff. But, you know, I mean, the, I think people don't use their power enough. We, the people, we don't use our power enough. And we let those in power do way more than they should. That's not always to our benefit. Well, unfortunately, a lot of us, most of us, are the types of people that will just follow the herd. It's the outliers <laughs> that Serac has Organize in a building. The outliers. <laughs> away from us. They're the ones that would help us to conform against it. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, even Dolores' goal, you know, Dolores, is, does she want to kill all humans? Is that it? Or does she want to enslave them the way that, that she was and that the hosts were, uh, she's got a, she's got a plan. It's sort that's sort of a, I guess, metaphor for what's going on. It's like, you know, she's almost like we, the people, she's like, y'all did this and you know, now you're going to pay. You abused us and payback time. I don't know. What do you think her goal is and goal? Well, we see that often, but we're hoping we're clinging on to the, that Caleb will hopefully be the humanity that she sees in in humans where she realizes it's not all humans. Yeah, it, either that or when she finally gets confronted by Maeve because Maeve seemed to 
make her change her perspective a little bit in season two when they encountered each other, you know, that you're just kind of doing the same thing. And if we want to be free, that has to be our opportunity as well. So maybe she could put a little more sense into her. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it's going to be interesting. (laughs) Wouldn't completely surprise me if the whole thing backfired on her, if they ended it like that, that I don't think they're interested in telling, you know, wrapping up everything tightly with a bow and all you know, and, or the way people expect it to happen. Like I have just said, I expect, you know, Dolores will rule the world one day and I hope she brings her daddy back. <laughs> she may completely fail and be completely destroyed and the hum- the evil humans win. This, this hail situation is definitely going to come back to bite her very soon. So, yeah, that, it's going to start to backfire, I think, in that respect a little bit. Yeah, it isn't that interesting how she's starting to take on, well, fighting, I guess, the attributes of Hale, but the, I guess the good ones, mm-hmm. you know, about caring about her kid and stuff like that. Um, yeah, man, it's deep stuff. <laughs> Reminiscent of Maeve, for sure. Louis, thank you so much. We've kept you on so long. Thank you so much for everything. Uh, listen, it's a pleasure, guys, and we'll do it again, if you like. Absolutely. So, if they're... Maybe I'll end up on a show, another show that you guys do a podcast for or maybe this one yeah even if we're not doing a podcast on it we like to think that this clatch family you're part of it now you're officially a clatcher <laughs> so hey, clatcher shoot us an email if there's something you want to promote if you come out with that podcast and you want us to talk about it okay. just call us up uh, any new show if you do another production uh with your company uh ransack films yeah. anything if you painted if you uh did a finger painting (laughs) and you're like i want everyone to know how badass this is you let us know and you're welcome to come on (laughs) okay i will do it uh hey guys it's been a pleasure and i appreciate your interest and i thank you for it thank you lewis thank you very much stay healthy and safe best of luck with continued success with your podcast thank you and you too with your long list of attributes on imdb (laughs) keep adding to it Thanks, guys. Take Take care. care. Nice to see you. Great seeing y'all. Bye. This round's on me. This round is on me.